Pray with me if you would, please. You're a father and you've <clears throat> given us more than we can, could have ever asked for. You have been, through each of the lives of all of us in this room, been faithful and steady and regular and loving and a rock and one who gives us hope and one who gives us purpose and one who gives us direction. But you do more than that. Lord God, you've given us a sense of the kingdom that is beyond this human experience that we have. And so help us to get it. Help me to get it. You've shared through your word. You've shared through others. You've shared through people in my life, I know, certainly. Kingdom stuff. May we get that and then not just get it. And Father God, may we live that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate what John Scott said about Bob. It is true. It is true that if you're around him and Bob's one, there are several, but if you're around him, you'll see that life living. It's a, it's a, it's a, walking, a walking testimony to, to the Lord that we serve. This is, this is wedding season. Wedding season, turning from May into June and all through the summertime, this is going to be wedding season. We, have, we had eight of our couples, our young adults who are uh, uh, 16, 16 young adults, eight couples who just graduated from our Together Forever uh, <clears throat> program, and they're talking about the plans for the future. And some of them have not, some, there are some couples who have not gone through a program, but they're talking about their plans for the future. It's always interesting to me to listen to people as they plan, as they explore, as they consider what's coming up, what's coming in the future. And certainly there's a marriage beyond the wedding, but it's interesting as they explore wedding and wedding day and who's going to be involved and where it's going to be, venues and places, locations, how far they're going to travel um, and how the, the rationale that they use to determine all that. Some do it by economy. I mean, they just decide it's going to be way too expensive to have all the people that I would love to have. So let's just kind of, uh, let's kind of pare down the list. And so I'll check with it. You check with it. Mom, what do you think? And whatever. Now, some will do that in a different way if they're going to pare it down. They'll do a, a destination wedding which means ain't everybody going to travel as far as we're going to want to go for this wedding. So that's just going to going to knock a few people out there. And it isn't because people are necessarily wanting to do, to be mean or to be exclusive, but sometimes that's just the way it is. And then sometimes people will have a particular themed wedding. Already this season of weddings, we've had one here, one of our young couples that uh, have tied the knot, and each of them present their personalities. As Jesus lived his life, he went to a lot of occasions, a lot of events, a lot of circumstances. And in those circumstances, he saw one after another a teachable moment. I want to ask you if you would to go to Luke chapter 14 this morning. We're going to explore a day, an encounter in the life of Jesus and a teachable, a teachable moment. He was invited to, invited to a dinner. It wasn't really a wedding, but it was a dinner. He was invited by a very prominent man, a Pharisee, a man who was a part of a sect or a group that honored very traditional thought and traditional practice, honored the law. But there are more than that. There are more than just people who honored the law. They're, they kind of tended to be people that were seen as a little bit uh, prideful and sometimes a lot prideful. In fact, that was, the, that was the tone. Anytime Jesus seemed to refer to Pharisees in Scripture, it was often a, a kind of a little bit of a, a rebuke 
that you're, you're a little high on yourself. And, and this occasion was, was nothing uh, short of that. He was, he was going to this gentleman's house, and he was invited for this dinner. But even before he got to the dinner, before he got to the dinner, he, he saw this gentleman, he saw this man, a different man. He wasn't invited, didn't make the list, didn't come close to the list. He was a man who was diseased. He was sick. The Bible says he said he had dropsy. Some people say that, that it's the same thing as edema. It's, essentially, it's, it's swelling. His body has swollen up abnormally, and so he, he looked very odd, and he stood out in the crowd. So he was standing out in the crowd when Jesus showed up for this dinner. And as he walked, I would think, into the doorway or started to go into the doorway, there's something about the man that he, he just said, I can't, pass, I can't pass him up. I've been invited, but here's a teachable moment. So as he looked at this man, as he saw, the, 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 no doubt, the social circumstances playing out, he saw probably, potentially, some feeling of self-consciousness, some feeling of awkwardness. Certainly he knew who the crowd was, so the Pharisees were already identifying who, who this man was, and he shouldn't be a part of our occasion, so let's just kind of keep him out. So Jesus, again, he saw this teachable moment. He looked at this gentleman and he said, He said nothing, because that wasn't his first message. His first message was to, to, to the onlookers. He felt the eyes on him. And what he did was he looked to the people around about the Pharisees, and he asked them, is it, is it right for me to heal on the Sabbath? And he knew their answer, because he knew what the law said. And then he looks at the man. And I don't know how it played out. I don't know if it was... He did touch him. He touched the man and he healed the man. A teachable moment. The teachable moment was one for the man. It was one for the Pharisees. It was one for the dinner guests. It was one for the people that were watching Jesus. And even without having to ask the people beyond their... their he asked the rhetorical question, is it, is it appropriate to heal on the Sabbath day? And then he asked them, if your kid fell in a well... What would you do? If you had an ox, if you had your primary tool for life, your, your source of, 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 of income, if you had someone special or something special to you and it fell in a well or it was compromised in some way, what would you do? And he knew the answer. That's why I asked the question. Because Jesus was all about constantly and continually living out, teaching and communicating and convicting teachable moments that had to do with drawing the distinction between a human perspective and a kingdom perspective. He was continually helping people to see that he wanted people to be drawn out of this natural human experience and this inclination for humanness and to adopt and to be transformed into a kingdomness. And that's what took place this day. It wasn't simply about this gentleman. Now he healed the gentleman and he sent him away. But I want to ask you for just a second as we consider, we're going to move on for just a minute. I want to ask you to consider where that gentleman went. I don't know where he went. But it's, it's kind of gnawed at me as I've continued to go back and spent some time with this text again. What, what, where did he go? Who was he? Jesus goes into this gathering. 
if you'll look, if you'll read on with me in verse, uh, as they had nothing to say to his rhetorical question, he, sa- he, he, he noticed how the guests had picked the specific places of honor at the table. He recognized the human nature. He recognized that this is, this is not really just a Pharisee thing. This is a human thing. Our tendency, their tendency was to find honored places, preferred places, gold cards. We want to have first class if we get the opportunity on the plane. We don't necessarily want to get second or third. It's just kind of who we are. There's something about the wanting to have a sense of significance, and certainly it was a part of a Pharisee crowd to have this desire for a place of honor. So what Jesus said as he was reminding people of a kingdom perspective of life, not just to be reminding them about the academically and cognitively about the kingdom way of life, but he was warning anyone that would listen to follow a kingdom way of life. He was warning them to get it. He was wanting them to get this this calling of God to be something beyond what human people did. And so this is what he did. I want to ask you if you would to read with me this section, uh, 7 through 11. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. And then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up. Move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your guests, all the fellow guests. And here's his point. Here's his counterhuman, pro-kingdom point. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Not my natural tendency. It's possible that it's not your natural tendency. From the beginning of childhood, we tend to want to get to become, we want to be first. We want our first. We want to keep our toys and not share our toys. We want to be kind of identified. And somewhere along the way, if, if people challenge that, then we may try to seek to, to kind of kill that. If we have some parents that are pretty, pretty uh, proactive, then they will help. My dad certainly did. Helped us to try to get rid of that tendency. But uh, I don't know that we, he was fully successful. Uh, he certainly wasn't for my brother or sister. But he, but he spent time, and this, our father spends time trying to help us to understand and appreciate and then to follow this kingdom tendency and not this human tendency. So what he says is that when you show up at, a, at a, any kind of gathering, don't get just your friends around you. Don't get just invite familiarity. When you go to a gathering, Jesus re- reveals his heart and he calls us to invite the poor rather than the rich and the familiar. He calls us to be a people that doesn't simply do what all humans do, but to live life a different way. And that, if you're like myself, that is a continual battle because I don't want to be the human 
definition of life. I want to become the kingdom way of life. I want to be a person who's identified by that. Well, Jesus, as he's talking about this tendency and these practices and these events, he doesn't leave it there. He, he takes us to another place. He says, now, when you're considering your guest list, when you're considering your guest list, if you will look at Luke chapter 14, 12 through 14, I want to ask you to read that text with me as well. He says, if when you're looking at your guest list, this is what I want to encourage you to do. Uh, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind. You do that and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And as I got ahead of myself a bit, I want to ask you to consider your tendency when you're creating your own guest list. Your tendency when you're asking people to come alongside you in this walk of life or maybe a particular event. (laughs) Because the truth is, if my Jesus is correct, and he tends to be, he says our tendency is to seek our own way and not his way. Seek the flesh way and not his way. Uh, He says in verse 14, although they, the poor, cannot repay you, they'll be repaid, and you'll be repaid on the resurrection, at the resurrection of the righteous. I've learned a lot from my friend Eric. Eight, ten years ago, he showed up in my office asking for food. Knocked on our double glass door. One of the ladies let him in. He came down the hallway. We had a long talk. No, he had a talk. I had to listen. And he was, he is continually, repetitively, it's about three and a half seconds, a new topic, three and a half seconds, a new topic, three and a half seconds, a new topic. And he's talking and I'm listening. But when we, he finished that conversation, when we finished that conversation, I said, you're welcome back here anytime. I thought that I was going to be the one doing the giving. I thought that I was going to be the one that was doing the ministering, being the carer. I had money, he didn't. This church had money, he doesn't. I have a home, he doesn't. Uh, there are a lot of people in my life, I'm thankful to say. Now, there are a lot of people in his life. But he showed up again. And he showed up again, and he showed up again. He has my cell phone. He emails me from his spot at the uh, uh, market research place in Collin Creek Mall, where he goes to every day. He runs numbers and does surveys and gets money for looking at movies and giving his opinion on products. And then he'll text me, and if I don't have a if I don't have a, a plan on Friday night, he's my dinner partner. And he'll show up and he'll ask, are you free Friday night? So for the past eight years or so, he's become one who's shown up. He knows all of our staff now. He calls most of them by name, some of them by nicknames. Eric has taught me about life. He won't mind my saying this, but this is a little bit sensitive. Eric smells bad a lot of the time. 
And he hates that. But he's homeless. And he has no place to go. And so he will on occasion go, and he knows every place in town to get free food. He knows where to get a free shower. He knows that there are certain uh, gyms and, and, and uh, boys and girls clubs and other fitness centers where you can pay a minimal price, and you can get a, you can get a, a, a membership, and you can go and get a free shower. What I've learned from Eric, though, through the years is that uh, he feeds into my life as much as I feed into his. Now, we've developed a, a group. There's a community of Eric's. I won't give you all their names. But as I've opened the door one more time, sometimes reluctantly and sometimes not so much, I got to tell you, Eric's one of my best friends. He doesn't have my background at all. But he has little to no pretenses. He talks way too loud in public settings. He talks about way too personal stuff in public settings. He talks political, he talks sports, he does all kinds of stuff. But when we decided some time ago, and now we'll jump in a church van and go pick us up some other people, what we've learned is we built a sense of community where we all learn from each other. I would not have had the wisdom to know that. I didn't step, set out to do that. But it kind of has grown. By the way, we'll be going out to eat together tonight. Anyone that's interested, you're welcome to join us. I'm serious. 7.30 after our worship service tonight, we'll probably go over to Jason's Deli. Anyone and everyone that wants to meet Eric and a few others, you're welcome to come. Let me ask you to go to one more piece here, and I want to ask you to consider this calling that God's called on our lives as the people of God. Luke chapter 14, 15 through 24, as we finish this chapter, as Jesus continues this teachable moment, this teachable encounter, this insight into kingdom, he says, when those, of you, when those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat and feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests and at that time, the, at that uh, time, the banquet he set. Uh, at that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, "Come, for everything is now ready." But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, "I have just bought a field, and I am <clears throat> I must go to see it. Please excuse me." And the second one said, "I have just bought a bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try to try them out. Please excuse me." And then the third one said. I just got married, so I can't come. So the servant came back to the master and he said, They're not coming. He came back and he reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets, alleys of the town, and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you have ordered has already been done. But there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. And I argue to you that this is a kingdom statement that God started in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, when he said, I want this house to be full. Go out on the highways and byways so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of the banquet. 
the people that were originally invited and the people that treated the invitation as low priority. There are many of us that may get a lot of invitations to a lot of banquets and events. There are many of us that have our mailboxes loaded up with invitations for weddings and groups and gatherings, and some of them are for free dinners to find out about retirement planning and all that. But there are many of us who get invitations and others get little to none. And Jesus said the ultimate banquet is about a father who's holding a banquet, and he says, go invite the people I originally invited, and now go invite the lame, the crippled, the poor. And now go invite everybody. Everybody. Because everybody, all people, are welcome. And many people out there do not believe that. Many people out there don't believe they're welcome. I heard, and you, not, I was not into the royal, week, uh, the royal wedding. I know some people are, and some people, you know, plan their trips and live by it. Dressed up for it. I, I, I knew they were going to get married. I was happy. We move on. But what I, heard, what, what I heard was that there are some children all throughout this country and also in England, throughout uh, in Europe, that they were invited to be a part of that wedding. And one by one by one, as those reports came in, the, the common theme was they were shocked. They had no idea. They were thrilled with the possibility. But they were, many of them pinching themselves and asking if this was true. Do they really mean it? And then Meghan Markle and Harry showed up for some of the places and actually invited them in person. Imagine the young boy or young girl who's made a significant impact in their community. That was kind of the common denominator. They wanted to help them, serve them, reward them, and say, you are our welcome guests, front row. You're going to be the first ones to watch us riding out in a carriage as husband and wife. And they were blown away because they were invited. There are people in our city that become blown away at the thought that they would be invited. into the kingdom of God, into your life, into the life of someone like me wearing something like this. There are people in your life and mine that come in this room and think, I'll come in this room, I'll sit, we'll hear the guy wind up and go for 30, and then we'll go home, but I'm not really going to be invited necessarily to the other things that they go to. I'll watch people go up and down the hallways, and I'll see them invite each other. I'll go, I know that people say I'm invited, but when it comes, I heard, some, I heard someone say just recently that they were standing, and this is someone part of this church, and I'm not trying to chastise, but this is just kind of what happens. One of the people in our church said that he was standing there in the middle of a group, and there were people walking, standing on either side and invited each other to lunch, and he was standing there like he was invisible. So it happens, and I'm not knocking anyone. Just, that's human nature. That, that just happens. I have no doubt that I probably have done that at times when I'm being less than sensitive or whatever. But what seems to be the case is that when Jesus says to these people, I know who we originally invited, and they're still welcome. If they choose to be complacent or say no, it's on them. Then I want to ask you to go and invite others. And then the house is still not full. I want you to go invite everyone. And that means everyone. My friend Anika Cooper runs a sober living home, uh, Simply Grace. Anika contacted me two weeks ago and 
we, we have community people in our, in our building all the time. Our urban mission stuff is about getting in the city, but it's also getting the city and the church. And she knows that, and she's here a lot, and she, she grew up, it's a long story I won't get into, but she grew up abusing and being abused by all kinds of stuff, addictions, men, substances of all sorts. Her life is now, as a God person, fully embraced, and that is her number one priority, and that's the only person she gives credit to who has saved her. But she is now committed to drawing other women who are addicted to whatever. And so she called me and she said, can we use your facility over here? She's part of one of our groups that we have over here on once a month uh, to do a women's kind of exercise and spiritual gathering. I said, sure, absolutely. So, she, so we opened up Hearts in Action as she was over there. <clears throat> and so we have friends speak upstairs. We have Anika and about 30 or so women coming in, exercise clothes, and varying degrees of presentation that doesn't look like the typical person coming in this room, certainly on a Sunday morning. And I call that church. Because he said, welcome all. Welcome all. Let them know they're welcome. Except my theology is wrong. In the early to mid-90s, I was in College Station for 18 years, working in youth ministry and family ministry and all that. And part of that, I decided I was going to go back to grad school and do clinical psychology uh, grad program. But I did a leveling course at A&M before I went to Sam Houston. <clears throat> so it was a group therapy class. And it was a Monday, it was a Tuesday, hour hour and a half. So the Tuesday was a didactic, one person teaching and all and Thursday was a group. And on Thursday, we sat around this Testing. How's it? So Thursday, we sat there. Tuesday, we listened to a speaker, to our teacher. Thursday, it was a group. We sat around a circle. And again, to save you the long story, the short version is there are norms and 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 and. and, and Guidelines and the group is a part of setting the guidelines and the practices and the roles and all that we develop the roles and try to create cohesion and confidentiality and all that. But one of the things that was said at the very beginning of the week of the semester was no one has to say anything. You're welcome to, but you don't have to. You be in here, you're required to attend, but you don't have to. So we sat in the group, and the group is led by two men. <clears throat> one was a tall Caucasian gentleman, and one was was. Uh, uh, a, a mid-sized, pretty plump uh, Hispanic man. And they went back and forth and they led the group. And we kind of talked about a number of different things going on in our lives and theme and whatever. So we go through half of the semester and we go through three-fourths of the semester. We came to three weeks until the semester was done. And one of the two group facilitators said, okay, we're three weeks away and just want you to know that we're three weeks away. And if you still like to say some things, please feel free to do so. You don't have to. But want you to know, and that's part of the process, to get people accustomed to concluding a group. So two weeks away, they gave the same thought, same kind of reminder. The final piece, the week before we concluded, they gave that final reminder before the last week. And on the last week, they noticed that there was one young woman that was, had not talked. An African-American young woman that had not talked. And I don't recall any other African-Americans that were in the room. But she was there, and she was fairly quiet. She was fully quiet. She didn't talk at all. And so he asked her in the front end of that last group, he said, pointed to her and said, do you mind if I ask you a question? 
Sure. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I've noticed, this is the tall gentleman, the white man, he said, I noticed that you haven't really talked in our group. And she kind of just nodded and said, I haven't. No, she just nodded. She didn't say anything. He said, can I ask you, is it okay if I ask you why? And she just nodded. He said, is, is it, you know that you've been certainly welcome to talk, and, but you haven't chosen to do so. Do you feel like it's safe in here to talk? And she nodded. Do you feel like it's, it's, that it's okay for everyone? And she kind of sheepishly nodded. Then the Hispanic man on the other side said, can I ask a question? And we don't mean trying to gang up here. And then he said, before I want to ask this, I want to tell you about some experience that I had a few years ago and cut through it all. Basically, he said, I was in a group and same conversation, same kind of thing, and I was not talking much. And I didn't until someone made one slight change. And do you mind if I make one slight change here? And she didn't know what he's talking about. He got up out of his chair. He walked over. And he grabbed her hand. And she said, he said, we've told you that you're welcome to talk. But I want to tell you, with my hand in your hand, could you stand up with me? She stood up. Can I put my arm around you? She nodded. She started to cry. He said, sometimes we can tell you all we want to, that you're welcome. But until we cross a line and we step into your space with gentleness and humility and we put our arm around you and invite you and almost insist because we're not as good without your contribution. It's only when someone does that at least for me, that I feel fully welcome. Are you feeling some of that? She's beginning to sob. And I thought then, and I think today, and I have ever since, that Jesus can tell someone and we can tell someone that we're welcome. But that's bad theology. Because what he demonstrated is you're so much more than just welcome. I gave my life welcome. You are, you cannot be more significant or valuable. We are not nearly as good without you. And I'm not just putting a sign up or putting something on my website or putting a tag on my shirt or saying, I'd like to be your friend, you'd be my friend if you're interested. I'm telling you, I'm not okay. I'm not nearly as okay without you in my space and in my life. So you're not just welcome. That's bad theology. You're more, so much more than just welcome. 
And I have to believe, as he was sitting there eating with the Pharisees and the others, what he must have been thinking about the man that he healed and sent away. Because that man, when you become kingdom-centered, had a place at the table. Now, the Pharisees didn't have one. But when you become a kingdom person and a kingdom, have a kingdom experience, and when you invite kingdom life into your life and you operate that way, then it becomes much, much more than that. So here's the thing I want to ask you for you and for me and for us. What does that mean for you? Some, some in our church do that all the time. There's plenty that I don't know. There are people that live that all the time. We'll do program things like our, our weekly and daily urban outreach, whatever. We have packs and pencils. We have all the program. I'm asking about you personally. Wonder what that means for you. Grandparent, when you take your grandson or granddaughter out for a gathering, what would it be like if you take some that doesn't one that doesn't have a grandparent in their life? When you go on a family trip, what would it be like if you take a family that you'd never been with? We go on the trips with the same people. We tend to have the same conversations. When you're playing golf, what would it be like for you to take someone that's not played golf, at least with you? Do you have one more seat at your dinner clubs? Do you need to take a homeless person in and let them be a part of your family and part of your life? Oh, that's stretching. I don't know. Do we need to take a step beyond where we are now? He said, everybody is welcome. No. Everybody more than welcome. If you're a part of a group that's been a group of married couples and one of your group becomes divorced, maybe you invite her and you invite him anyway. Because they're feeling it. If you're you can fill in the blank. I don't know what that means for you, but I want to ask you to live out in whatever way, in whatever form, more than welcome. While we stand and sing together.